Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20 says this. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and His vast strength. Put on the full armor. Come on, ever shout armor? armor. Come on, ever shout armor? armor? Armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, because of all that, take up the full armor of God, that you may be able to resist in the evil day. And having prepared everything to take your stand. So we've been called to stand. We haven't been called to retreat. We haven't been called to hang back. We haven't been called to go backwards. We've been called to stand. So verse 14 then says, Stand therefore with the truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with the readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, not some situations, not two or three situations, not a few situations. Come on, somebody. In every situation, in every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request. And stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Today's we close out our series, Citizens and Saints, I want to speak to you from the subject, It's Not What You Think, Part 3. As we look at the weapons and the armor given to us to fight the battles that we face in life. Will you pray with me just one more time this morning? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and that it's active, that it's powerful, that it has the ability to transform us from the inside out. God, I thank you for this church that's going to meet all weekend long, all morning long into the evening tonight, God. Not the four walls, but the people, all of us in here today that you've brought together, coming from different places and spaces, backgrounds and situations. God, I thank you that we can come into a place like this, and no matter who we are and where we're at, we can stand together underneath the banner of your name, your name which is above every other name. And so I thank you that right now as we work through this message today, there's going to be freedom, there's going to be peace, there's going to be joy. I declare that right now over all of our lives. Those of us who are coming in here holding on to things, God, in this moment we're going to be able to let go knowing that you are for us and not against us, that you have a great plan and a purpose for our lives. We love you in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, everybody shouted. Amen. Amen. Um, many of you don't know this, many of you do. Uh, pastor Justin, who, who leads our worship around here, is our worship pastor. He's my brother, my younger brother by four years, and I, I love this man with all my heart. Um, we've known each other forever. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's deep. We've known each other for a really long time, since, since birth. Um, maybe not me. I've actually known him longer, technically speaking. And so, um, but uh, I've got so many fond memories with my brother. And uh, I think and reminisce on some of these things and just stories at different times. But I was thinking about something the other day as I was prepping for this message. And uh, how many of you, just show of hands, not a trick question, love the Ninja Turtles? Yeah, do we? Yeah, I knew we had a cool church. All right, so. Um, Ninja Turtles were my jam. So my, my grandma lived in Fresno, California. As we were growing up, um, my mom would bring us there to visit, visit my grandma. And it's still like, you have those memories, you know those memories that you can still smell things and taste things. And like, when you think about it, you're just like, I can remember like the, these little green weird pine bushes that sat outside her double wide trailer in hot, hot Fresno, California. I remember going into this trailer and she would, uh, uh, she had this brown weird shag carpet. And the trailer itself had this interesting smell. And I remember the carrots that she would microwave, right? 
that would get mushy and she would put brown sugar on top of them just to get us to eat them. I remember Murder, She Wrote in Matlock. Come on. And I remember those moments, and I remember watching these shows with my grandma, and I remember the living room, and I, and I, and I remember the, the, the dining room sass kitchen thing that it was. I remember all of those, but I, I'll never forget, after multiple, multiple sessions of Murder, She Wrote, and Matlock, my grandma would allow us to watch the Ninja Turtles. And like every creative kid, after that show was over, Justin and I, we would turn into... The Ninja Turtles. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, just think back to your childhood days, and maybe you've got a kiddo. And when we would transform into the Ninja Turtles, like, it was on, like, Donkey Kong. I was Leonardo, right? And he was Donatello, and I'd have my swords, and he would have that bow, that staff thing, and we would do the stuff and all the ninja moves and everything like that. So then my mom finally doubled down on it. She bought us, one Christmas, Ninja Turtle pajamas. Game over for the Parrish Brothers because now we had something to take our game a whole lot. We no longer had to imagine what it was to be a Ninja Turtle. We put these pajamas on. It had the ninja eyes that, that you could, come on, you know what I'm talking about? And we had the sword and we, had the, and we would go around and we would ninja fight everything. I'd ninja, I'd ninja fight the carrots because I didn't want them in my soul. And I would... <laughs> We'd ninja fight my grandma. We'd ninja fight the dog. We'd definitely ninja fight cats. Like everything we could find. And we were, I mean, it was ninja stuff everywhere. Because the minute that we would put on this, this suit, this outfit, we turned into something else. And this is what Paul is actually submitting to us. He's saying, listen, there's going to be some battles that you're going to face in life. There's going to be some spiritual battles that are coming against you. And when you suit up with the full armor of God, all of a sudden you will transform into something else. You will be ready to stand, take your stand, be planted, and ready to face everything that's going to come. You will be a holy ninja turtle. <laughs> you learn in church today? I don't know. Something about holy ninja turtles. I don't think it was theologically correct. <laughs> you see, for many of us, though, we walk through the battles of life, the spiritual ones, not realizing that we've been given the proper tools and equipment necessary to do battle. So we don't do our battles the way we're supposed to. We do them in our own power, quickly finding out that we're weak at best. See, as we've journeyed through Ephesians, we've come to learn that Paul is passionate about equipping believers for their life of faith. And with one more illustration, at the end of this letter to the Ephesian church, Paul would write about the armor of God. See, the, the letter to the Ephesians was written in Rome by Paul while he was accompanied by Roman soldiers. And I can just kind of get this picture at the end of it all as he's, man, what am I going to say to these guys who I love so much? What am I going to say to this church that I that I'm so passionate about, after, after everything I've written to them, after all the things that we've walked through, how do I end this letter? How do I, how do I make sure that they are fully equipped to do everything that they have in front of them, to, to live the life God calls them to? And I could just imagine Paul sitting there with paper in hand and pen in hand, trying to figure out what he's going to write. And as he looks to his right, he sees a Roman soldier standing next to him. And as that soldier is standing next to him, he kind of looks and Starts to eye them. And I can imagine him just sitting here starting to, oh. And as he glances at this 
Roman soldiers shrouded with armor to protect him from his battles, all of a sudden God starts to download some stuff into him. God starts to speak some stuff to him. Paul, this is what I want you to say to them. I want you to tell them that if they put on this belt, man, they're going to be ready to to do what they need to do based upon the truth that this belt represents. When they put on this breastplate of righteousness, when they put on the helmet of salvation, when they put their shoes on, the shoes of the gospel, they're gonna be ready to fight. When they take up the sword, the word of the, the, word of the spirit, they're gonna have everything that they need. And so he looks at this armor and he says, that's what we need. We need people who are battle ready, armored up, ready to go. So that's what I want to look at for the remainder of our time this morning, is I want to just look at these pieces of armor that Paul highlights, six of them there are, so that we can look at what they mean to us and how important they are as we put on the full armor of Christ. Number one, I need your help this morning. Come on, every shot, number one. First one is this, the first thing that he talks about is the belt of truth, the belt of truth. John chapter 8, verses 30 through 32 says this. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. Verse 32, we've all heard this before. You will know the truth, and the truth what? Sets you free. No matter where you've been, you've heard that before. Maybe your mom said it to you. After you broke something. Just tell me you broke it. The truth will set you free. <laughs> <laughs> Which how many of you know you lied in that moment because you're like, Mom, I'm looking at you, and this truth is going to get me murdered. (laughs) Right? In the parish household, we've caught my kiddos in in little lies, fibs, white lies, big lies, and we've quickly said to them, parishes don't lie. Why? Because we want truth. Because where there's truth, there's freedom. Where there's truth, there's freedom. And the interesting thing is about life is that many of us operate according to false pretenses. Many of us live life based upon false foundations. But there is truth. There is an absolute truth. There is a truth to God's word. And while not everything is contained in the cover-to-cover section of the Bible, we do know that the, his word is truth for us. And when our life is founded upon it, all of a sudden we start gaining freedom in so many areas of our lives. We need truth. It sets us free. Truth is such an important part of who we are and how we stand. So this belt that these Roman soldiers would put on was a vital piece of their armor because it set the foundation and it would eventually be the very thing that their sword would hang upon. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. You see, in our cultural current generation and moment, truth has become subjective, hasn't it? It's become irrelevant, it's become archaic, it's become dismissed. However, that does not mean that there's not truth. And for that matter, it doesn't mean that there's not truth that'll set us free. See, the problem is that we're not searching for truth, we're searching for comfort. In an attempt to make life easy and as simple as possible, it would be C.S. Lewis who would say this, if you look for truth, you may find comfort in the end. If you look for comfort, you will not get either comfort or truth, only soft soap and wishful thinking to begin, and in the end, despair. Truth brings freedom. See, truth brings the comfort that we're actually all searching for. The problem is, why we don't like truth, come on, let's be honest, is that truth is hard to assimilate. Isn't it? We don't like to hear truth. 
We like it, but we, we don't like it. I married one of the most truthful people I know. <laughs> she kind of says it the way that it needs to be said. It's what I, what I love about her, and it's what frustrates me the most about her as well. I'll ask her a question, and she'll be like 100% honest and true. And I'm like, you're just supposed to lie right now. And then she'll say, parishes don't lie. <laughs> it's important. How many of you know that the most endearing people in our lives are the people who speak truth as hard as it is sometimes? Come on, have you ever cracked open the Bible before and you're like, I hate that. <laughs> We're just an honest church around here. Like, let's just be real, okay? <laughs> I still do it. I'm like, oh, really? That? You want me to forgive him? Because I was cool with just punching him. Like, that's <laughs> truth. Truth is something interesting because it's actually what the Bible tells us the Holy Spirit leads us into. John chapter 16, verses 12 through 13 says this, I, have, I still have many things to tell you, but you can't hear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. See, God's plan and purpose in our life is to lead us into truth. And as truth takes root in our lives, we find more and more freedom. Have you ever been told something that you couldn't handle in the minute it was told to you? Let me illustrate it this way. I've got two kids, three kids. Um, two only talk and ask questions. One just blabbers right now. And so... The two that ask questions, Justice and Shiloh, they're eight and seven years old, and they'll come and they'll ask a question. And parents, you know what I'm talking about when they ask those questions that you are not ready to answer yet. You know what I'm saying? How about this? What about this? What do you think about this? What's this word mean? Ask your mom, right? <laughs> but we found ourselves many times saying this interesting thing to our, to our kiddos when they'd ask us certain questions. We will talk about that later. And why are we saying that? Because we're assessing, one, giving us a little bit of space to figure out how we want to talk about it. But two, how many of you know that kiddos, as they progress, there's certain things they can handle now, and then there's certain things that they can handle later. And this is what God is saying right here, is that there are truths that as we mature in Christ, they are going to assimilate differently into our lives. There's certain truths that I couldn't handle when I was a baby Christian, but as I've matured, I've come into a place where I can handle more truths, varying degrees of freedom. And that is why we are all in process from one truth to another truth, from glory to glory, from faith to faith. You are in process, I am in process. As his truth sets us free on the daily. The daily. So we got to understand the first thing that we got to put on in the morning when you get up, you go to the bathroom, you get your coffee, and you put on the belt of truth. <laughs> and you're like, is that a real belt? <laughs> Maybe. Go buy a belt from Walmart and write on it, belt of truth. <laughs> But we got to put the belt of truth on. Everybody shout number two? Number two, the breastplate of righteousness. Breastplate of righteousness. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 20 through 21 says this. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, 
we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him, watch this, we might become the righteousness of God. Righteousness is a really fancy word for right standing. Right standing before God. See, in this moment, we talk about Easter, and we talk about Good Friday, the resurrection, and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, which accomplished this. He who knew no sin, Christ, Jesus, goes to the cross, he defeats it all, he wins the battle, he overcomes the charges that are against you and I because of sin, and he simply says, her, him, they now stand righteous. What's taking place? Your identity has been changed. So what are we doing when we put on the breastplate of righteousness? We are simply saying, God, I'm going to take this new identity and I'm going to put it on my standing. Because how many of you know the enemy wants to attack? Now, these Roman soldiers, they would put on the breastplate that they would put on, made of different materials, so that they weren't able to have their vital organs stabbed. That's what it came down to. See, swords had progressed over time, and so these Roman soldiers were no longer having these swords that took two hands to like, just chop at people and Hack off limbs and things like that. It wasn't going down like that anymore. Now they were into a new type of battle. So the Roman sword, we'll talk about this in a little bit, was a shorter sword. It was double-edged with a point. And what they would teach you in battle is to thrust and stab. Go for the vital organs. Go for the heart. Go for the stomach. Do any damage that you can get. Stop hacking at people. Just kill them. What you learn in church today? I don't know. Stabbing a ninja turtles. That's all we're doing the breastplate would cover their heart and vital organs I want you to hear something this morning how many of you know that the enemy is after your heart he's after your heart why because it's the seedbed it is the soil of God's work zone the Bible would describe our heart and the Gospels as soil Soil that seed would fall upon. Jesus would tell a parable and he would say, hey, listen, the seed comes, it falls upon. And he would describe these different types of soil. And what he was getting at was the soil of our heart. And see, the process that we're in with Jesus is the constant tilling of the soil of our heart. It's the constant working of it so that seeds can be planted. And when our hearts are soft and, and, and they can move and they can shift and they're not hardened, the seed of God's word has the ability to take root and grow and produce fruit. But the problem is, is that as God's doing this work, the enemy's doing his work and he's trying to mess with the soil. He doesn't want the soil watered. He wants the soil hardened. He wants the soil to be messed up and jacked up a little bit. Why? So that when something is said, when you hear something, when you receive something in worship, these seeds that are being tossed out all the time and by, by God, he didn't want that stuff to take root in your heart because he knows if it takes root and fruit is produced, all of a sudden your life changes. And when your life changes, the enemy starts to get a little scared because when your life changes, all of a sudden you start seeing what God has done in your life and you start realizing, wait a second, I can go to battle against this enemy. He's no longer got me here because I'm here because God's been working on me so what do we do we got to put on the breastplate of righteousness and I think that's why this song that we've been singing around here lately is so powerful he says I am who he says I am I am who he says I am 
And I stand in that. I've got to put the breastplate of righteousness on to protect my heart from what the enemy will accuse me and tell me that I am, which is opposite than what God tells me I am. The enemy's going to come at you and say, you're shame. No, I'm not. I got the breastplate right that bounces off of me. I'm a child of God. And you're addicted. No, 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 no. I put the breastplate on this morning. I'm not addicted. I'm free. <laughs> right? You're broken. Dirty. No, 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 no. I just put the breastplate of righteousness. I stand righteous before God and in God. So I'm not broken and dirty. I'm whole and I'm healed. And it's peace. It surrounds me. And I walk this thing out. So I have the breastplate of righteousness on. How many of you know that if you put on a breastplate this morning, you would walk out the house different? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Go do that. Everybody needs to go buy one, right? Just put it on. And all of a sudden, I guarantee you, if you're, if you're kind of like, oh, you know, woe is me, put a breastplate on. Please. Just strap it on. You can't walk around. There's something about a breastplate that makes you go. <sighs> I'm going to go to my next staff meeting with a breastplate. <laughs> And be like, he's ready to go. Put a breastplate on. So, bathroom, coffee, belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness. I am who he says I am. I stand right before God. Number three, we shout number three. Third one is this, the shoes of the gospel. Oh, the shoes of the gospel. Now, the gospel, the good news. I want you to hear this. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to five. This is Paul writing, and he says, therefore, since we have been declared, what? Righteous. By faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also, if that wasn't good enough, we've also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions. What? Because we knew that affliction produces endurance, endurance produces proven character, proven character produces hope, and what does this hope do? It does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. That's good news. Paul would say something else about this good news a few chapters earlier in Romans chapter 1, 16 through 17, where he would say, I'm not ashamed of this good news. I'm not ashamed of this gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It's the shoes of the gospel. It's the good news. So the Roman soldiers had these sandals. And in these sandals, they would place hobnails in them. These sandals were pretty much like ancient cleats. And this is the picture that God wants us to see, is that when you put the shoes of the gospel on, they become your firm foundation in the midst of a world that is always changing, forever shaking, and never something we can rest our hope in. Come at me because my cleats are buried. I am strong and standing firm. We played football, flag football, about two years ago on Thanksgiving Day out at the RSL practice field with a bunch of guys here at the church. They invited me. They're like, hey, why don't you come play flag football with us? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. That would be fun. It's flag football. So I didn't take it super seriously. But how many of you know that flag football on Thanksgiving Day is already serious? <laughs> and how many of you know that with dudes, it's always serious? <laughs> 
So the competition level was on high, and so I wasn't thinking anything about it. So I showed up, and it was cold outside, and the grass was wet and had some snow on it and everything like that. And I showed up in my tennis shoes, not thinking about what flag football was. And when I got there, I was met with battle-ready men. They had cleats on. They had all their outfits on. I think there was a dude with, like, a leather cap on in the back. (laughs) They were ready to go. And I was intimidated all of a sudden. And so I'll never forget, we're standing there on the line getting ready, and, and guys are going down, like on their knuckles. And I'm like, guys, this is flag football. You don't need to go down on your knuckles. I know some of you, and you're going to hurt your back. <laughs> so they're down, and it was like in this moment where they're down like this, and everything goes in slow-mo in that part, you know what I'm talking about? And you could see the breath from their nose. <laughs> Right, and these guys are like, and their jowls are moving. Like, it was like, it looked like bulls just ready to go. And these guys were like, and and then all of a sudden, the snap, and they all go. Why? Because they had cleats, but the fool wearing tennis shoes, he didn't go anywhere except flat. Why? Because I had no grip. I had no grip. I had nothing to keep me stabilized. Can I declare something this weekend in church? It is the word of God that keeps us stabilized when everything else is destabilized. This is not an irrelevant dead word that's just been leather bound for us to go, oh, it looks good. This is the word of God that we need. It is the gospel of our salvation. It is the good news when nothing else is good. We can open up his word. We can understand what he's done for us. Why? Because it's the good news. And the Bible says beautiful are the feet of those that carry the good news. It's the good news of the gospel. And Paul said, I'm not ashamed of it. That's why we preach the way we do around here. That's why we do church the way we do around here. Why? Because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because I know where I used to be. And it is the gospel that took me from where I used to be to where I am and to where I'm going. It's the gospel. To be immovable in ever-changing times is the product of a word that never changes with time. It's like he said, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. So you got to Put them cleats on. Let's go back to the closet. Coffee, bathroom, belt. Because <laughs> that's how you put your belt on. <laughs> Breastplate of righteousness, sandals, my cleats, the gospel. Ready to stand. Number four, Bashad, number four. Fourth one is this the shield of faith. Hebrews chapter 11. One through three. Now, faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. For by it, our ancestors won God's approval. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God. Come on, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God. So that what is seen is made from things that are not visible. Oswald Chambers said it like this. He said, faith is deliberate confidence in the character of God whose ways you may not understand at the time. It's the shield of faith. And we got to pick up the shield of faith. Now, we're not talking about faith. Saving faith, as the Bible would describe it, 
The faith that we put in Jesus at the moment we say yes to him would follow. We're talking about the faith necessary to navigate the world that we live in. My shield of faith when I've got to walk out the battles of life. My shield of faith that I hold up when the fiery darts of the enemy are being flung at me. Come on, show of hands. How many of you have seen Braveheart before? Yeah, it's like one of the greatest movies ever made. I love Braveheart. One of the best movies I've ever seen. And there's this one scene in Braveheart, maybe you, maybe you remember it. Braveheart and his army, they're standing on one side. And the enemy's standing on the other side. And the enemy takes his arrows and he dips them in something and they light it on fire. And then, pew, and there's just this rain of fiery arrows. And they're flying. And what do they, what do they pick up? Shields. Bam. Da, 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 da. And they've got this arrow, boom, 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 just hitting them. And they're underneath their shield. And here's the interesting thing, is that the enemy is constantly throwing fiery darts at us. And what's even more interesting is that he has to do it from a distance. Why? Because he's too scared to do it up close. So he starts throwing accusation, doubt, fear, insecurity. He's launching all of these things at us from a distance and all we have to do is after we've put on the belt and after we've put on the breastplate and after we've put on the shoes, I just pick up my shield of faith and I'm able to put it up and I'll say, hey listen, my God is so much bigger than your accusations. So I hold up the shield of faith. A little while ago, I took my son to go buy Nerf guns because I'm a good, good father. It's who I am. It's who I am. <laughs> and so, uh, so, as every good dad would do, I brought him to the aisle and I gave him a certain few guns that he could pick out. Mind you, they were guns that didn't have an excessive amount of darts. That was for me. So he picked out his gun and it had a little six shooter thing, it was a little rifle, and he picked it up and he was stoked about it because he's like, Dad, my gun is so big. And I was like, yeah, man, I'm scared of it. Then we went over to where I got to pick out my gun. And I got a battery operated 15 bullet clip gun. <laughs> the balls, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and so we did battle when we got home. And he quickly realized that he was out darted. Why? Because he shot his six darts I collected his six darts, I didn't give his darts back, and then I proceeded to belt him with my gun. <laughs> like I said, I'm a good, good father. <laughs> but Justice got smart. So in that moment, he realized, wait a second, Dad has way more darts than I do. He has way more power than I do. And so he ran into his room, and he came out of his room with a cardboard box piece of it as a shield. And I said, well done, foe. <laughs> he got smart. Because what did he realize? He was outgunned. I had more darts than him. So he needed to take up something that was going to be able to protect him from those darts. We've been given bad theology. We've been told and taught that the enemy doesn't have power. Christ has all the power. It's wrong. Because if the devil didn't have any power against us, why would Paul write about armor? 
Why would he write about all the schemes of the enemy that he's going to come at us with? And some of us are failing to realize that we have armor to stand against them because we've been tricked into believing that, that the devil's completely defeated that way. He has been defeated for all time, yes, 100%, but he's going to still throw darts from the distance. And so we need to pick up our shield of faith and realize I don't have to be hit by them. I simply just need to block them, and I stand in who Christ has made me. That is the shield of faith. I know for some of us we're tricked out right now because we're like, oh, did he just say like the devil has power? Yes, I did. But he doesn't have ultimate power. <laughs> he doesn't have the biggest power. Our dad's bigger than him. But that's why I have a shield. So I can hold it in faith and realize that I can extinguish all the darts. Number five, ever shout number five. Fifth one is this, the helmet of salvation. Second Peter 3, 17 through 18 says this, Therefore, dear friends, since you know this in advance, be on your guard so that you are not led away by the error of lawless people and fall from your own stable position. Verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. The helmet of salvation is not what many of us think it is. The helmet of salvation actually has to do with protecting our mind. Because how many of you, not only is the enemy after our heart, but he's after our mind? He's after the way that we think, he's after the way that we perceive, he's after the way that we process through things. Because he knows if he can get in your head, then eventually he can get to your heart. And if he can get to your heart, he can ruin everything. Right? And so we've got to put on the helmet of salvation. I put on the belt of truth. I put on the breastplate of righteousness. I put the sandals of the gospel on my feet. I pick up the shield of faith, and then I place a helmet on my head so that I can protect my mind from all the things that he would attack me with. The Bible has a lot to say about our minds. What you think is important. What you believe is important. This is why Paul writes to the Philippians in chapter 4, verses 8 through 9. He says, think appropriately. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence, there's anything praiseworthy. Think about that. Anything praiseworthy. Have you ever had that day where you're just looking for anything praiseworthy? Right? It all just is downhill. It's a downhill day. And Paul is saying, it doesn't matter what your day looks like. It doesn't matter what your month looks like. It doesn't matter what your year looks like. If there is anything worthy of praise, he says this, set your mind on it. Dwell on these things. Do you know what dwell insinuates in our life? Dwell is not an afterthought. <laughs> dwell is not, oh, God's good. And we pass on to the, our busy day. Dwell is not like, oh, that was, that was a great service. That's not dwell. And we, and we go on the rest of our day. Dwell is not like, oh, man, that just really spoke to me. But cool, okay, now Walmart we go. <laughs> That's not dwell. Dwell is constant residence of your mind upon his character. I'm going to dwell. I'm going to think on these things. And the interesting thing is we will dwell on everything that we're not supposed to, but when it comes to God, we will not dwell on Him. We will dwell on that binge-worthy show 
What's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? Oh, come on, now, now the church is getting quiet, right? <laughs> you go to bed and you're like, oh, maybe not. Just two more hours. Just, just two more hours of murder she wrote. Like, that's all I need. <laughs> we dwell on these things. I get it too because I do it. I have a personality that goes all in. Like the minute I'm there, like it, it's, it's like it's everything. It engulfs me. I dwell on it. I went fishing yesterday on my day off at Strawberry River. I got home. And what I did is we were just chilling and hanging out. So I got on my, my phone and I'm looking up all kinds of different things about fishing, how to get better, da 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 And I caught myself. I'm like, you are dwelling on rainbow trout. <laughs> so I had to put it down. I think about my message and think about God's goodness. And I'll tell you what, coming in here in a place like this, in a moment like this, standing on stage, bringing this word, this is, this is scary for me. I have butterflies in my stomach every single time I get up here. If you're down here close to me, you know that there's moments of time, and Eric has heard me say this many, many times, God, your words, not my words, your words, not my words, and so the band, they're doing their thing, the worship team is doing their thing, and they're, they're getting ready, and then all the news comes on, it's like, ha ah, ha hashtag, relationship series, and all that stuff, and inside, my stomach's like butterflies, 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 and then I know, okay, it's go time. God, your words, not my words. I need your truth. I need to stand in the identity that I have in you. Come on, I'm going to get ready to preach the gospel, so please put it on my feet right now. I walk up these stairs and I take up my shield of faith because I know even right now the enemy is attacking my heart. Because like you shouldn't be standing here doing this. You shouldn't be speaking these things. You remember what your life used to look like? But I got to hold my shield of faith. And while I'm doing all that, I got to put on the helmet of salvation so that my mind is able to focus on what God needs to say in this moment and wants to say in this moment. And then I do one more thing. There's just one more piece of the puzzle. He says, now I need you to pick up the sword of the Spirit. I need you to pick up my word and I need you to deliver it in such a way that it was meant to be delivered. Hebrews chapter 4, 12 through 13. For the word of God is living and is effective and sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces as far as the separation of soul and spirit joints and moral. When we open this thing, when we preach this thing, when we speak this thing, when we dwell on this thing, it changes who we are. It is the sword of the Spirit. And what do I put it on? Belt of truth. The belt of truth, and it hangs here. It is my sure and steadfast weapon. And I want you to see something. In everything that Paul lines out, it is my only weapon. It's nothing else. It's my only offensive weapon. Notice Paul didn't say to the Ephesians church in Ephesians chapter 6, take up the tank of blasting things wide open. Take up the bazooka of mass destruction. Now he didn't say that. He said, put on the armor of God. Put on truth. Put on righteousness. Put on the gospel. Hold up faith. Protect your minds. And keep the sword of my word with you at all times. And you, my friend, 
will be able to face every battle that comes your way and you will be able to stand in the day. I wonder if we have the ability to raise our sword in moments that the enemy makes a bold and brazen attack upon our lives. And I pray that this series has been one that has equipped all of us to do just that, to stand in the midst of everything that we face as we put on Christ as a citizen and a saint. In Jesus' mighty name.